Bible Bitches is back. We're back. We're back. I'm so pumped. We are back. Season four. Season four. I feel like it was a little touch and go there over COVID because fucking fucking COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I hope by the time this posts, there isn't some other insane variant uh, diving us back in. Uh, but let's just say we're in a better place. Hopefully, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harsh or mellow Sarah because by the time this comes out, you know what's gonna be what it, what's gonna be what St. Patty's Day. I mean, I don't know why you gotta try to jinx us. Just make those variants come up. The only variant I'm interested in is St. Patty's Day. Oh, that's a good, that's a solid variant. I'm interested yeah. in some solid whiskey. You know what I've heard about whiskey, beer, and green dye? <laughs> that, they all, huh. that they mix well. <laughs> they mix well and they all have anti-COVID properties. <laughs> that, that sounds a little shady. No, no, no. It's they're like Science Daily has published multiple articles about how green dye, <laughs> beer, and cheap beer. You can't just, it has to be either it has Guinness, to be Pabst. It has to be Pabst or Guinness. Okay, gotcha. And Irish whiskey specifically all have anti COVID properties. Is this Fauci approved? You know what? Fauci's the one. He was like, listen, y'all, this is controversial. This is wild, <laughs> but here's the thing. And you know what he was doing? He was drinking some Irish fucking whiskey while he was saying it. He was throwing everything at the board, seeing what sticks. <laughs> he was. He He's was. like, you put that, va- you vax me, you put whiskey me, like just whatever, whatever you got. I'm going to stick it all, stick yeah. it all in there. See what happens. The thing that's, is, uh, is that like, that's my know. motto. Stick it all in there. See what happens. <laughs> that explains so much about you and your sexual proclivities (laughs) (laughs) no but dr Fauci was i mean you know yeah nobody's trying nobody wants to talk about the like 28 million dollar check that guinness and um (laughs) and jameson wrote to him but big big whiskey big beer yeah (laughs) But that does not cloud his, you know, his objective, mm-hmm. uh, like, understanding well, of the situation. If, if yeah. Big Whiskey wants to write me a check, then I will be happy to. Big Whiskey. <laughs> I feel like Big Whiskey has some turf wars. There's, like, the bourbon contingent. There's mm-hmm. the Irish contingent. There's the Japanese contingent. Right. Here's well, I have to rep. So, so me, Laura, I am here in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I have to rep for, you know, the tried and true, the bourbon. Um, I got, I got, I got to, I got to. So, I mean, no I'm, shame. Bourbon's yeah. delicious. Well, big bourbon. And big it's bourbon. a little too, you know, BB. Baby, just like Bible bitches. Just like Bible bitches. We're bringing it to you real. Yeah. <laughs> uncut real and uncut season four of yeah. back to action this is just straight mash right here straight corn whiskey mash <laughs> and today Indeed. i'm really i'm real excited oh I'm yeah no we've got some we got some cool ass topics coming up um if there's two things i love it's history 
and Bibles and whiskey. Two things I love. <laughs> yes. And I Your can add. skills are impeccable. Impeccable. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a base season. Do I sound mm-hmm. like a youngster? Oh my gosh. You sound like one of the kids. I know. I'm just so hip and with it. You are. You are. And since, so since you're the hip one, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask to do the honors and start us off with the history. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Wait, no, we have, we need to introduce each other. We did. Okay. I didn't introduce you. Well, I introduced myself. Well, fuck. Then let's, do this. <laughs> let's get this show on. We the got road. Sarah. She's in LA. We got Laura. She's in, where am I? Louisville. Can you're in Louisville. 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 Say it, also, say it. Say it like you've had a stroke. <laughs> also, if uh, our listeners don't know who you are by now, then I just don't. Yeah, right. So yeah. You got Sarah. She's agnostic. She's in LA. You've got Laura. She's an ordained Baptist minister and therapist. She's in, she's in Louisville, Kentucky. We, what do we like? We like whiskey. We like bourbon and we like it now. And we like scotch. And we like scotch. And we also like uh, feminism and religion and comedy. And that's what we're here to deliver. I just right agree about comedy. I, I think we should be serious this whole episode. Well, sucks to you, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the tramp stamp I need. Oh, if we, if you ever get that tramp stamp, I am going to record it. And that is going on our Patreon. (laughs) Good. I feel like I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like both a little bit too soon and a little bit too late for the hilarious, ironic uh it's never too late no no no. but like it's much funnier if I get the sucks to be me or something (laughs) of that vein (laughs) tattoo when I'm like 65 (laughs) much funnier than at 39 fair fair (laughs) yeah just saying um Sarah is gonna pledge to get that tattoo at our next live show (laughs) Mm-hmm. right here right now i uh i pledge no such thing <laughs> disagree agree to disagree <laughs> all right anyway any hoots uh <laughs> today we are coming at you with ezekiel's zombie army so you may or may not have uh ever just been casually reading the bible reading into Ezekiel and going are we talking about zombies what's going on here uh and first of all we're gonna dive into some history before we get to the actual verbiage of the thing that sounds like zombies okay so who is Ezekiel and what's going on according to the Oxford Bible commentary Ezekiel is set in Babylon, beginning five years into um, Judah or um, the Southern Kingdom's Babylonian exile around 593 BCE. The prophet Ezekiel was deported to Babylon with the first wave of exiles following Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar's conquering of Jerusalem. Um, A puppet king 
Zedekiah was installed by Nebuchadnezzar, but he had planned a rebellion, formed an alliance with Egypt, and denied tribute to Babylon. Can I interrupt right here? Yeah. So just for some context, yes, Zedekiah was like made king, Mm -hmm. Um, but the the nation uh, was a tributary nation, which means that it's kind of like, uh, think of it as like a state, it, like it's, it's subject, it's subject to Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And yes. so for him to, uh, for him to like try to plot against Nebuchadnezzar is, is like mutiny. Yeah. It's like mutiny at this point. It's kind of like, um, he's not living up to the, uh, the rules, of the game, right. Mm-hmm. So, um, Nebuchadnezzar's like, all right, you've denied the tribute, you're planning a rebellion, you formed an alliance with Egypt, I'm going to lay siege to you and to Jerusalem, and I'm going to burn this city in uh, 586 BCE as a response. So large systematic deportations ensued after this to Babylon, Babylon. And much of the biblical writing from this period is reflective of the collective trauma um, of this displaced nation of Israelites having experienced war and deportation. Yeah, I mean, like we should really do a deep dive on Nebuchadnezzar because he is an interesting character in his own right, because uh, he was a ruler for a long time. And especially during this kind of like exodus period for the Israelites and different books talk about him in very different ways. Like in some books, he is considered kind of like a necessary evil and there's justification for his reign. And then in other books, he is, uh, you know, you know, he is given much, a much more uh, unkind narrative where he, you know, turns into an animal of the, like a farm animal for seven years, which is just the fun. a fun fact about him but the story is not about him go on well Sarah why don't you tell us what Ezekiel said and then I'll actually read the zombie passage afterwards so the book of Ezekiel is made up of oracles and visions Uh, Ezekiel's a priest a member of the upper class and recognized as a prophet in the Babylonian exile so just I don't want to like harp on it too much but this is like a period of time when they're just kind of wandering like this is another wandering period for them and um and this is coming after a time when they had a place to stay for kind of a while um and then uh blah 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 uh he shows symptoms of visions paralysis mutinous mutinous and and some other things which to a, a modern day reader might indicate something is awry um, I think there are uh, arguments for mental illness or for maybe he's like on a hallucinogenic, but he attributes all this to Yahweh's direct intervention. So he's saying that Yahweh is giving him these visions, these crazy, awesome visions. And, and his mission appears to be a mouthpiece for the wrath of God towards a disobedient people. Um, as he seems to attribute the exile to Israel being a rebellious nation, quote unquote, in uh, Ezekiel 2-3, showing a cause and effect form of theology. 
So I'm going to actually read the passage, which is, um, it's, you can find it in chapter 37 verses uh, one, uh, one through 14, I think. Um, is that right? Uh, yeah. And uh, Ezekiel here describes a very zombie-like vision. So I think it's helpful for the person that's listening to think like, what would it be like if someone came to you and said what I'm saying? All right. The hand of the Lord came upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to God, to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lie sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O oh, my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. So I have some questions. Fair. <laughs> Just one or two. One or two. Um, And maybe this isn't the right time, but like, the first question is simply like the very last line, right? Or the very few last lines. Um, you shall know that I am Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves. Oh, my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. Then, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. Never mind the repetitive nature of that. Um, what, why? Why does he need Ezekiel to prophesy the thing if he wants the people to know that he's the, that God, the Lord is the one doing this? It makes more sense if the Lord is acting directly. Why does God need a mouthpiece? I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, like there's a rhetorical bit to that question, but I also have a theory for this. Um, I will, I, I'm going to expound on this. We might touch on it a bit later, but I think that here's my thought about this. 
I think it's very interesting. So you know how earlier in the passage, it says that I will breathe into them. I will breathe there. Like breathe comes up multiple times. Um, Ruach is the um, Hebrew word there. And um, I don't know if you remember all the way back. That's one of like the first words we learned in Hebrew um, with Neil Walls in at Wake Forest Divinity. And that's the same word as the like creative breath that comes in in Genesis one, um, the like the breath that goes into like the breath of life. So I, I think part of this is sort of um, prophesying or giving hope to Israel, the people of Israel who have been deported that there will be, there is hope for the future. Um, so it's like hearkening back to this creation myth and also to their former glory that like, look, it seems like you're, it seems like we're in a period of death and disarray, but there can, st- there can be a hope for renewal. Um, and, and I need you to convey this to the people. I think that's, I think that's really what this is about. All right. Um, and then also, like, I'm interested in, like, this kind of throwaway line, um, you know, early on. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, and this is so throwaway. Oh, Lord God, you know. And it seems like, like as a modern reading, it seems like kind of sarcastic. Oh, you know, (laughs) Uh, know, like, oh Lord, you know, or like, yeah, like flippant. Um, And I, I'm just interested on like your take on that because like, also Uh, like, yeah, he's, he's like throwing the question back at God, right? Like he's, he's not trying to answer the question. He's like, oh, you know, I don't. Yeah. And like, maybe that's literally what it means. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know at this point. Um, yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like Ezekiel at this point is very, um, I feel like, okay. So, um, I think that uh, like, according to, um, inter- the introduction to the Hebrew Bible by Collins, um, uh, one of our main sources, um, that we used in divinity school, mm-hmm. um, Collins says that, Ezekiel is describing a metaphorical resurrection of the Hebrew people under a restored, like Davidic line, right? Like under King David's lineage, um, which the puppet king is not, um, that that he's this is all going to be restored, um, and a literal resurrection. That's not really a thing for this these people. So what, this throw this throwaway line of "Oh Lord, you know." if if Ezekiel is really experiencing this that could be legit because until Zoroastrianism which comes much lady much later in the the uh, area of ge- geographic area where Iran is but that's going to come later on in time that's whenever you're going to get a literal res- resurrection and like a god and a satan and like uh you know a heaven and a hell and those those very definitive kind of black and white theological lines, um, that doesn't come till later. 
And so I think that there could be some legit puzzlement here from Ezekiel of like, I don't, I don't know what's coming. Um, yeah. And uh, the second ruler who was installed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar after Zedekiah's rebellion was named Gedaliah and was not from this King David line. And so they would want in their brains, a restoration or life being breathed into this would look like wanting a Davidic ruler who would have been seen as a restoration of the monarchy. Um, Also, the Oxford Bible commentary notes that the image of unburied corpses now turned to parched, dislocated, and scattered bones simultaneously evokes the remains of Israelites killed in the Babylonian invasions, the dislocated and disoriented Israelites still living in the land, and the exiles whose hopes have at last been utterly crushed. Mm-hmm. To this devastated people, Yahweh or the Lord promises that he will act beyond their despair, that there is essentially hope that their very graves metaphorically are open in order to give them life and restore them to their land. So it's, it's all about renewed ties to the homeland. And I still think Ezekiel's kind of perplexed about all this, right? Like he sees like all these bad things have happened and I don't even possibly know how it's going to get better. Maybe. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of, that's, I think that's where we're both going with this is that this is a vision of hope for a people who have been just, you know, in the moment and over the last few years displaced, but also on a longer, like larger generational scale, they're constantly being displaced. Right. Um, And so, you know, there has to be a sense of, despair I would think um in that because they kind of keep getting kicked out and being like the scapegoats for you know for political intrigue you know which sucks um but yeah I it's it's interesting like it's an interesting vision um in and of itself in this kind of way where you know he he has this vision of he and God together bringing back a dead people, which in and of itself is kind of a, a weird take, I want to say, because if, if they're trying to offer hope, why isn't the hope looking towards the future? Why does the hope require that they resurrect the past when the past has been so problematic? Which, like, this isn't something we talked about beforehand, so there's no need for, like, a proper answer. I'm just, I'm just asking the question. No, that's a great question. Do you think they view the past as problematic? Because if they're trying to, like, get a restored, like, we want, we want how we had it under King David and King Solomon, do you think they view that as being problematic? Maybe they view that as their golden era, you know? Maybe so. And, you know, like, uh, something that I kind of keep experiencing and uh and I was even talking with my brother earlier today about like you know people have a very uh short memory right uh about their past um and uh so it is yeah I mean like that 
yeah, the good old days, right? Where you only remember the good stuff. And also it only goes back like 30 years. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't remember because if you don't like have anybody in connection to the memory, it's just history. Like I don't know anybody in connection to the civil war. So it's just this like obscure or not obscure, but this kind of like removed fact about the United States, even though it was this horrific event. But I know my grandfather fought in the Korean War, so it has more of a, a yeah, personal relevance, right? Um, and so, and so I don't, I mean, like, yeah, so maybe that's just exactly what it is, is that they, they are just enough removed from that narrative that they only remember the good things and only remember the narratives from people who experienced it that were happy I don't know I don't know I think it's that but I think it's also magnified by the fact that there was a very short period of time where they were united under a non I'm gonna say non-dysfunctional monarchy and I'm gonna use that very loosely because I because now from a modern reading of you know King David and King Solomon we can view especially King David as being fair in his family dynamics as being very, very dysfunctional. But from the people's perspective of that time, it was probably the most prosperous and unified that things had been, right? Because before that, you have this sort of slapshot thing of judges. Um, Mm -hmm. Afterwards, you have a whole lot of kings that are going back and forth. And then there's also within a hundred years of, is it David or Solomon's rule, you have the, the, the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom split between in Israel of the Northern kingdom and then um, Judah, the Southern kingdom. And so there's right. a very short period of like golden era, right. And among the Israelites. And so I, I think well, and, it's and- a both and sitch, like you've got to displace people who are, dealing with displacement and then you've also got a very short period of time where things were relatively peaceful right and like and don't forget song of like uh, proverbs the psalms and song of solomon which were like kind of in in order ramping up to an ecstasy right that like kind of didn't have anywhere else to go but down it was it was like a strange kind of manic state of the bible that then went into a depressive state right right and mirroring that i would say like where the the people of israel are in this moment in time where we're reading this um you know i would think about like people on the border you know people who are are having to leave their you know their homes for, for us in America, you know, it might be people in South America who have, who are, feel like they're unsafe and have to flee their homeland. And so what, what is that like, um, to feel like you, you have to flee or forcibly flee your homeland and make a home in a new place. Um, that's a, that's a strange land. So that's got to feel very disorienting. Um, so I like to read this with a sense of, I can't quite get my head around, you know, being 
you know, 2,500 years ago. But what I can wrap my brain around is in modern times, I can, I can view and look at modern migration and some despair over displacement in the modern era and what that might feel like and look like. And so I would encourage a modern reader to try to think about that in terms of trying to understand this and what it would, what it would mean to feel a sense of resurrection around a people who have been displaced. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, like, I absolutely agree. Um, like that seems to be the overwhelming message from a conservative point of view the message seems to be that the like message often seems to be this kind of idea of, um, you know, uh, you are, you are this like dead soul in the, in the Valley. And then if you ask like Jesus into your heart, then he's the one. And in this narrative, Jesus is a he, um, he's, I love your facial expression right now. Um, but, uh, if, a, if a face could be a fart, that's my facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> but th- that like Jesus will come and imbue you with life. Right. Which is, it's just, it just does such a disservice to the context. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and, and, and I agree, like the way the way that like when I read this, when I was thinking about it, it was all about immigration and, um, you know, laws around that and safety for and protection for those who are in the process of immigrating and how scary that whole process must be because you are displaced and, and, um, and there's nowhere to go to which like is a different kind of vibe, I think, because my, my understand like my like, I don't know, picture of back in the day was that there was nowhere to go to, but there was like limitless places to wander. Whereas in the United States, if you're coming here, there are very few sanctuary cities. There are very few places to wander. And even in those cities, there's still like an air of secrecy that you're trying to like make happen so that you can like get your green like your visa and or you know like legal status and uh and all the while you're in a similar situation where you're like on the brink of you don't know what there's no security you are at the mercy of your context and it's deeply unfair and really merciless. Absolutely. And I think that's, I think that's what's unfortunate about reading this in a conservative context is that if you're just reading Jesus back through the old Testament uh, or Hebrew Bible, you're really, you're doing a disservice both to the experience of these people and their pain and also to Jesus's experience, um, because if you read Jesus's experience, um, his parents had to flee, right? And so he, even as a young person, had to experience being a displaced person. And so if you really want to read this and understand it as like 
how would Jesus view this experience? I really think that you need to view it as like, how would a displaced person feel? Um, what is it like to, to be with the most oppressed people? And that's, that's the, that's the experience of, of being, you know, Jesus was a first century Palestinian person who, who, who was not, not privileged. And so like, it's not, it's, it, it's, it's very strange to me to, to read back through the Hebrew Bible and try to put him in everything. However, Jesus is Jewish. And so Ezekiel is part of the Jewish experience. So read it for what it is. Read it for what it is. The thing is, I mean, like, yes, absolutely. It's just that like, God, God damn it. Like, I hear that response. I think it's very legitimate, but I keep hearing that like conservative Christian narrative that's, in my opinion, very like head in the sand. And it's all like, you know what? They still did something illegal. So, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Ooh. And it's like, no, nope, no, nope. don't love it. Don't agree. love it. Nope, nope. This is this is a need for uh, institutional reform, and uh, y'all need to quit hiding behind a really problematic and just it's just straw. It's a straw man argument. It's what it is. It is. It is. And this is like, I just want to, I just want to give a shout out that this experience, like what he's talking about here, as much as this is like, you know, it feels like a dystopian, like zombie apocalyptic thing. It is, but it's trauma. Like this is fucking trauma. Like this is, this is what it, this is what it, I don't, I don't know what it feels like as a, you know, white American who is middle class, but this literally is what it must feel like to be a displaced, uh, minority. And so listen to that. (laughs) So the whole, like, you know, I don't know, and laws and, and BS, like if you, if you really, really, if you are, you know, wanting to adhere to being a, a Christian or whatever and, and read the Bible and, and whatnot. Um, I don't know. I think lean into the, to the trauma narratives and try to be empathetic about what it must be like to, to be in these, have these experiences. It's, it's, it's still, this is a living text. It's not static. Right. I think, I think there are narratives in the, in the Bible that, that are trauma narratives that are still relevant. Well, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, like I think, uh, a one that maybe, maybe I see just because it's very prominent out here in LA, um, that a lot of other people don't see is the Armenian genocide, Mm -hmm. which, um, like Russia just came into Armenia and just like slaughtered a bunch of people. And of course, America is like, refuses to acknowledge it. It's a whole thing. But there is a a strong Armenian contingent out here, and um, and like I remember last year, twenty twenty one, there was another you know Putin doing his thing, trying to like push buttons, get into Armenia, and I had friends who had family who were like being displaced, mm-hmm. and um, well, and as anyways, of this recording. Well, and as of this recording, he's poised on the outside of Ukraine. So yeah, yeah, 
exactly. it's going to happen again. And so this is, this is very prescient yeah. and, um, and, and yeah. also as climate change worsens, we're going to have increased migrations. And so I would just encourage people to read into this as something that people are going to continue to feel as they are displaced, that they are, that there is a hope for life after displacement. And it must feel like breathing life into dry bones. It must feel like a hope amongst a zombie apocalypse. And I I just, I just, and I also just want to say, like, we live in an era where zombie movies abound and like, it's kind of bizarre that 2,500 years later, not much has changed. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I know we got to wrap this up. I know we're there, but like, as far as the climate change thing goes, we're going, we, we're not yet at the dry bones. Like we are still well living and it's going to take some acquiesce. Like we're getting, we're going to be at the dry bones in like fucking 25 years. So it's going to get shittier before it gets better, but hopefully, you know, there's still time to change things. Y'all prepare before the climate wars of 2050. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, just get like 30,000 air purifiers. And like so much, like, like those tarps that like collect water. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're going to need to get like a lot of like charcoal and sand to purify the water. Yes. And, um, I don't know what goes into an air purifier, but you know, Nestle is like trying already to like Hmm. monetize that shit. Anyways um let's leave on a good note let's leave on a good note let's breathe let's breathe some life (laughs) into these dry bones sarah (laughs) i don't know how to do that with climate change because that's like it's like uh rose-colored glasses Um, let's see uh let me give it a spin all right um finger gun finger gun um let's do this together let's build something together Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> to, qu- to quote the owl from Bojack Horseman, um, it's funny when you have on rose colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. <laughs> true, though. True, though. Super true. Anyways, I'll let y'all do your part, recycle, and um, be kind, rewind. Be kind, <laughs> yes, that is that is at that is on point. Mm-hmm. I would say that's even on fleek. That's how on point it is. Oh, wow, <laughs> it is not dated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all, it is so good to be back. Uh, yes, yes, I want you to hit Sorry. us up on Twitter. At Bible Bitches, I want you to hit us up on Instagram. Also, at Bible Bible Bitches Podcast. Yep, you can check out our website, BibleBitchesPodcast.com. Yes, you can check out our Patreon, which is what Sarah Bible Bitches Podcast. What? What? Streamlined Bible Bitches Podcast. You can find us everywhere. Bible Bitches Podcast. Bible yes. Bitches Podcast. And we got. 
we're like rolling out some new uh like marketing we're really excited this year it's gonna be our year you guys we're doing it we're doing it we're doing we're doing the damn thing um big shout out to yo eves uh miss eves uh you can find her uh, we use her music for the intro and outro. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I think the Bandcamp uh, app. Uh, her music is fantastic. And yes. yeah, we are looking forward to seeing you or hearing you on our next episode. Oh, and don't forget, shout out to Aaron Goddard and Sabrina Gilchrist for being yes. Patreon donors. And please... Donate to our Patreon. We would love to have your support. Um, we'll be able to do a lot more um, with more support. Yeah. And so. And you'll get access to a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. 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 So love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.